So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Well, folks, um, for the first time ever, from a roundup perspective, I am running solo. Cody Hydesmith is uh, not responding to his WhatsApp messages. And he's probably on a river in Colorado trying to land a big brown trout. Uh, it seems like he's doing a really good job of it. If you look at his Instagram, he's landing some monsters. But his photographic skills still... Um, What's the phrase? Leave something to be desired. Uh, so if you want to interact with Cody and just say, man, you missed him. You missed him on the roundup. You, you know, where was he? And give him some pointers to the kinds of photos that he needs to take with his trout. I suggest vertical in portrait format, though he doesn't have an Apple iPhone. He uses one of those other Android devices. Text him at 620-860-4804. And let him know that you missed him. And uh, that you hope that he is catching many, many brown trout, which it looks like he is. So this is going to be probably a curtailed roundup today. Uh, there's lots and lots and lots of stuff that is happening in the world of hunting. Um, it's, you know, typically this is a quiet season. Uh, as we get closer and closer to the new year and the legislative season, sessions kick off all across the world not really all across the world, all across the U.S., um, and that's when things start firing up. But, hey, there's lots of stuff happening. I had a phenomenal phone call, FaceTime call, with the CEO of the Field and Game Australia, Lucas Cook. Uh, lots of stuff happening in the political wings in Victoria, the state of, uh, as a state in Australia. They just had an inquiry that said that um, duck hunting needs to be banned. Okay. Well, if you look at the inquiry report, or well, the first addendum says that it doesn't need to be banned. Then you've got a referendum coming down the pipeline that uh, is very controversial in Australia, referendum, referendum for Indigenous voices. But if you ask people behind the scenes of what the referendum is all about, it's all about money. Corporations making more money and really not addressing the Indigenous voice. You then just had a real shuffle of the political atmosphere in Victoria. The minister is now gone. Uh, the premier, sorry, the premier is gone. The minister environment has changed. And uh, there's obviously a lot of political pressure now being put on some of the backbenches that may have swayed towards banning of duck hunting, but are really indifferent. They just go with the politics. But now that the tradies, the unions in uh, Victoria have said, hey, we don't like you infringing on this idea of uh, 
us going out and recreating in their great outdoors and, and duck hunting being one of those things that we like to recreate with. And so we're against that. And these backbenchers are now starting to take notice and go, ooh, we may not want to uh, buck the ship, essentially the tradie ship, because they could cause all sorts of problems and they may back your uh, opponent the next time you decide to go up for election. And as we all know, politicians value keeping their jobs. Uh, nowadays, politics is a career, not a service. And so, yeah, things are really happening in Victoria, Australia. I want to mention a couple of things. We have uh, some new conservation club supporters that I wanted to um, relay. We've got some new conservation members. J Martin Taxidermy. Actually, J Martin Taxidermy is now the a presenting sponsor, presenting partner of Blood Origins Canada podcast, the Hunter Conservationist podcast that is under the Blood Origins umbrella. J. Martin Taxidermy, you are the um, presenting partner. They are the presenting partner. And just big shout out. Shout out to J. Martin, small company, small taxidermy shop. Got behind uh, Mark and what he's doing at Blood Origins Canada and said, man, I want to get, I want to be a part of that. I want to help. And I stepped up in a big way. So big, Big props, big kudos, big shout out to Jay Martin Taxidermy. Uh, Smitty's Beard Sauce. Smitty's Beard Sauce has come on board um, at a conservation club level. We've got a $25 tier. It's a very small tier. It's the lowest tier we have, but we treat the people at the $25 tier the same as we treat the people at the $1,500 tier. Big shout out to um, Smitty's Beard Sauce. Kevin Smith, uh, you are amazing. Uh, thank you so much for jumping on board. If you have a business, out there and you want to be involved in Blood Origins and you feel like you could you could swing 25 bucks a month or 50 bucks a month, love to have you involved, love to have whatever, you, it doesn't have to be a company in the outdoor industry, it just needs to be a company and that you want a tax deductible donation against the business, man, that's a win-win-win. That's a win-win. The other one would be supporting us, so it's a triple win. Get a hold of us, info at bloodorigins.com. Text us at 620-860-4804 or just DM us through Instagram, wherever you want to find us. We're not hard to get a hold of, as Dion Sanders says at the University of Colorado. Uh, lastly, we have another new conservation club supporter, Grail, uh, G-R-A-Y-L.com. Uh, they create these really cool filter bottles. They've come boarding a conservation club too at the $25 level. Big shout out to Grail. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate all of you. Appreciate all the Conservation Club members. You're essentially the lifeblood of what we do at Blood Origin, and we can't do the work that we do every single day, even this Roundup podcast, without people getting behind us and supporting us. So big kudos, big shout out to you guys. Much appreciate you. As I said, there's a lot of stuff happening around the globe when it comes to hunting. We've got a couple of articles that I'll go over. Um, we've talked extensively. Probably the the hottest topic that is out there right now is the Colorado uh, ballot initiative that's being brought forward by the proponents. I don't know exactly who the proponents are. I'd have to ask Dan Gates. I'm sure it's a conglomerate of anti-hunting organizations. And this hunting ban is 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 a true ban. It's a ban on mountain lions, bobcats, and lynx. They put lynx in there. Semantics, you can't hunt lynx, it's illegal federally and on a state level. Uh, so they're using lynx as an, an emotive topic. But this is going to come forward in 2024, going to be put on the ballot, on the vote ballot 
in November, uh, same time as they're voting for the next president. Any changes in government in Colorado, this will be on that ballot. So we've got a long road in front of us, 13 months now in front of us, but we've got some really good ideas. We're not going to let the cat out the bag, but we've got some good ideas of how to put some content out there and how to push back against you know, some of the false rhetoric that's being put out there. Trophy hunting, being a misnomer. Uh, you don't eat mountain lions. Nobody eats mountain lions. And I think at the end of the day, one of the things that the, this, this ballot initiative is after, and, and, and maybe this is a part of the, the core push from our perspective, is that it sounds like it's all about protecting wildlife. It's all about protecting mountain lions, protecting bobcats. At the end of the day, it's not. It's just against getting rid of an activity, a lifestyle that they don't agree with, which is hunting. They don't like it. They don't want to see it anymore. And so this is the way that they want to get rid of it. Because if you look at examples of where mountain lion, for instance, have been banned, the, the hunting of mountain lions have been banned, you would expect that the data if the rhetoric that they're proposing, which is saving mountain lions, is true, you would expect that the rhetoric, I'm sorry, the data, would be such that no mountain lions would then die, apart from natural causes of Mother Nature, right? Well, California is a perfect example. Mountain lions got banned, I think, back in 1970-something. Um, I'd have to re-look at the paper. But there is a clear trend of mountain lions being killed at higher rates than they ever were when they were hunted through depredation, human-wildlife conflict interactions, that kind of stuff. So if you look at, if you use the California, California example, mountain lions are still dying at an even higher rate than when they were hunted. But the activity of hunting has been banned. So they got what they wanted, which was the idea of this lifestyle being banned, this choice that we, that we like and that we, and that we do. But the killing of the mountain lions still occurs. So it, it's a perfect, it, it is the only data point that we have, but it clearly shows that the people that were against lion hunting and got it banned actually weren't interested whether or not mountain lions died or not. Same thing is probably going to happen in Colorado. And I think that that's something that we need to look at and use as a piece of rhetoric. So um, stay tuned. Obviously, lots and lots and lots and lots occurring around Colorado and what and whatnots. But um, so if you have any suggestions, we've got the Short Truths podcast. That's now uh, dropping every Friday. I think episode three is dropping this Friday or last Friday. Um, it's a question of uh, what do you think about canned hunting, which is more around high fences and our thoughts around that. Got several more questions coming. We've already lined up like 10 or 11. We've got more questions coming in. I've got to record a couple more maybe later today. Um, so if you have any questions that you want us to answer, please 
Reach out to us, info at bloodorigins.com. DM us through Instagram, text us 620-860-4804. Uh, make sure Cody normally does the text message, 620-860-4804. I got it right. And uh, let us know how we can uh, address things. Again, text us if you have any ideas, if you have any papers, articles, anything that we should be aware of. Text us, email us, DM us. So a couple of articles that I want to go through today. Um, Actually, I'll start with this one. Um, there was a, a, a sort of opinion piece published in the Frankfurter Allgemeine, which is the Frankfurter newspaper in Frankfurt, Germany. And the headlines, I had to use the translate button, but the headlines are, quote unquote, you are welcome to pick up a thousand elephants. Um, this is an article that um, was written the president of Botswana, uh, Mokitsui Masisi, uh, has brought back hunting into the country of Botswana. His predecessor, Ian Karma, took it away in 2014. But essentially, the article talks about the, the number of elephants in Botswana is about 130,000. Yes, elephants are endangered, but they are uh, in overabundance in Botswana. And essentially, the president was addressing the anti-hunting rhetoric that is, how could you, how dare you kill elephants? And his pushback was like, you come get them. You come buy a thousand elephants and take them wherever you want to take them. You deal with them. You live with them. It's essentially the same thing as just happened in the northern uh, part of South Africa, in the Limpopo province, Jens Ulrich Hoog. Um, you can find it on Facebook. Just Google um, or Facebook search Nordic, N-O-R-D-I-K, Safari Club. You'll find a video of Jens Ulrich Hoog that uh, went to the Limpopo province to video and document a cull of elephants. It's interesting that Jens, about a year ago, I, I heard about this idea last November, and for the last eight months, he found a herd of elephants. He found an individual that did not want the elephants any longer. And has, and really put it out to everyone. Put it out to the animal rights uh, components. Put it out to, you name it, uh, to say, hey, I have eight elephants. They are free. All you have to do is come get them. Otherwise, the landowner, who doesn't want them any longer, is going to cull them. So step up, put your money where your mouth is, and say and do what you say you're about, which is saving wildlife, because you have a better alternative than culling. And because it's an elephant, it was you know, all the drama. There's no drama around culling whitetails or culling any other animal, it's just because it's an elephant. Well, the cull happened last year because nobody stepped up. People actually visited the place. Animal rights activists said, oh, we're interested. And when told all the, all the details and whatnot, they all went silent. They all disappeared. And so Jens put out a video to say, here we are. Elephants are culled. You had an opportunity you say you're for elephants, you say you've got better alternatives, you've got uh, better ideas of how to save elephants because they're quote-unquote endangered. Silence. Crickets. Nobody 
took him up on the offer. Nobody stepped up with money to say, we will take him and we will move him somewhere. Because at the end of the day, moving eight elephants anywhere, regardless if it's 30 kilometers down the road or 3,000 kilometers, I reckon it's probably an easy quarter of a million dollar investment. Easy. It's a different, different scenario when you put your money where your mouth is when it comes to wildlife conservation. So who knows what's going to come of it. It has happened. The video is out there. I'm sure there's going to be more content from Jens associated with it. Um, so stay tuned. So again, that, that article in the Frankfurter just, just speaks to the idea that, you know, hey, Western, Western, you know, the Western states, America, UK, and the animal rights people, you say we shouldn't be doing it. We'll come with an example, come with solutions, come with real, real life solutions that can do something for wildlife and we'll stop hunting. We'll stop doing the thing you do. Just give us the solution that is economically feasible for the people and for the people who hold um, blood origins. Ah, blood origins. Man, what am I doing? That's what happens when I talk by myself. Who's, who's in charge of the elephants? That oh, man. <laughs> All right. Um, another uh, article just came out of South Africa. Uh, the Daily Maverick is a local South African um, online uh, news source. And the article is, Wildlife Woes Snaring Kruger National Park Spikes more than 200% amid socioeconomic crisis. You know, the Kruger National Park is the, the premier national park in South Africa. I went there a lot as a, as a child. And it's really disheartening to see um, when you start like looking at what's happening in Kruger. There are some phenom there are phenomenal scientists working in Kruger. Richard Sowry being a section ranger. Uh, the scientific uh, support crew is amazing. Um, everyone that works in Kruger National Park for Sand Parks does an, a yeoman's job. But you can't really do anything about the people that are around Kruger and, you know, the hardships that they face. You know, looking for a meal, looking for food, and poaching is one way to do it. Um, so in this article, the uh, Environment Minister, Barbara Creasy, is questioned about sort of the, you know, what's happening in Kruger. And so they presented some data, 2020, 2,400 snares removed. In 2022, two years later, it's 7,200 snares. So that's almost a 200% increase between 2020 and 2022. Um, it, it's, un, it's quite unbelievable. And, and you, you've got COVID, obviously, over that time. You've got poverty over that time. And that's just driving the, this need. Um, and it's not just, you know, you're finding both snares on the, on the boundary of Kruger, but you're also finding snares all the way inside of Kruger. Um, it, it's really a tough, tough, tough scenario. And it's not just, obviously, they're not just, they're not just focusing on, you know, poaching and snaring it attacks any wildlife. It could be a hippo, it could be a lion, it could be a hyena, it could be an impala. They are non-discriminatory in terms of what they do. And so, yeah, it's it's a tough scenario, and it is the reality of, of South Africa. 
Um, so, it, it, you know, when we talk about hunting, you know, hunting brings dollars to the table that allows for anti-poaching patrols and people to sort of protect and pick up snares. So everyone is dealing with this, this issue, this issue that, and really the, the deeper issue here is that wildlife is facing increased human pressure all around the world. And so then how do you tackle the balance of maintaining human rights of food and resources, but also balancing the protection of wildlife that is so vital and critical for the world, for our kids and our grandkids um, to see one day. So yeah, big, big issues, not just Kruger Park. This is just an example in Kruger Park, but you're talking about India, even here in, in the United States. One of the um, one of the biggest the bigger articles that I've been tagged in constantly this week is with the conversation. The conversation is a an online publication that uh, its bottom line says academic rigor, journalistic flair. You are you have to be a academic um, that's part of a university PhD student to be able to publish something in the conversation, and so. This article, the title of the article is Lion Protection Fee Paid by Tourists Could Help Stop Trophy Hunting is the South African study. Now, uh, let me start by saying that I think that hypothetically, the research that these individuals undertook, uh, Neil de Cruz, Andrew Elwin, Herbert Natuli, it's, it's, it's a good research study, but it's very, very, very hypothetical. And so what they did was they what they did is they put to a survey the idea of how do I say this the idea of replacing the money driven by hunting by this sort of conservation levy fee on tourists and they 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 talked about uh you know they they spoke to 907 people who were visiting or planned to visit the country South Africa and I don't, the, the article doesn't really give us the exact uh, language that they posed towards them, but essentially they said, yes, 80% of the people were in favor of the idea of light protection fee. Now, caveats are, you are in favor of something, but when you have to put dollars behind it, your own dollars, would you do it, number one? Number two, logistically, how would you get the money to the places that were actually hunting versus you know, dealing sort of bureaucracy, corruption, money disappearing. And three, I think it's important to point out that the hunting of wild lions in South Africa is actually quite rare. Uh, you have the whole canned lion issue in South Africa. You also have the next step up, which is a very appropriate way to hunt lions, which is wild managed lions, which is lions that are in a place have been in a place for a long time, are completely wild, and they need managing, i.e. they get too big for the reserve, or the reserve wants a certain number of lions in their reserve, they only want 10, and they are now faced with having 20. And so those wild managed lions can be hunted. So the question would be, would a lion protection fee still apply if the place... Um, Obviously, 
you know, still carried lions? And I think the answer is yes. The question is then what do you do with the lions? Because for the most part, I would say 90% of the lions that are going to get hunted in the wild managed population, if not 100%, are going to have to go somewhere. The, the, the landowners don't want that many lions. They're taking more of the prey base away from the ecotourism side of things because they're predators and predators eat things. So what do you do with the lions? You can't just, can't just leave them. You have to move them. And again, the same scenario with the elephants. Nobody wants lions. Put it out there. Ask people if they want lions. The answer is no. So I think at the end of the day, it's a great idea and a good idea. And again, 907 respondents, 84% said that's, that's actually, yes, it's a good idea and a great idea. And I think most hunters would agree. The problem is in the execution, is replacing the trophy hunting revenue. Their idea here is to replace that revenue. So how would it happen? Who would the money go to? But again, I think the major, major missed issue here is what kind of hunting of lions is the majority wild-managed hunting, essentially. And that's happening because the carrying capacity of lions, typically in those areas, in these reserves, is too large. So what do you do with the access? Or excess, not access, excess. What do you do with the excess? It has to go somewhere. They have to be removed. Or just like the typical, just like the mountain lion issue, are they now getting paid to just remove the idea of trophy hunting and these lions are still going to get removed? And now they're not getting removed through the, the pocketbook of a trophy hunter, which is going to probably spend a lot more money. It's now being paid for by this quote-unquote lion protection fee, which is a conundrum to itself, when that lion protection fee is now being used to cull excess lions on these places. Wildlife conservation issues are always complex. They cannot ever be just boiled down to this simple idea, which is this lion protection fee being paid for by tourists. They're, again, a hypothetically, really good idea. In practice and in implementation, probably impossible or improbable. How do people pay? Who pays? What do they pay? How do you get that number? Um, you know, they suggested a couple of dollars, six to seven dollars per day of them in the country. Well, how? Who manages that? Who oversees that? Where does the money go? How does the money hit the ground? How does it protect lions? You can obviously see all of the potential issues in that. Uh, last article, or do I have two more articles? Uh, no, I have one more article. Another article that came to us uh, that came from the Smithsonian Magazine is What's Killing Minnesota's Moose? Studies reveal sites of deadly brainworm transmission carried by deer and spread by snails and slugs. A lethal parasite is infecting the large ungulates, which have recently declined dramatically. This brainworm is a 
a big deal. Um, and it is affecting the moose in Minnesota, but has the potential to certainly move east, hit the New Hampshire moose, Maine moose, and, uh, and probably, as I've been talking to some of our Blood Origins Canada folks, for it to move into, into Canada. And so in this article, brain worm has become a leading cause of death among Minnesota's moose in recent years, responsible for an estimated 25 to 30% of the mortality. Obviously, moose are facing increased uh, challenges when it comes to predation. There's a growing gray wolf population that's obviously causing them to um, be depredated. You've also got uh, ticks. Uh, if you haven't looked into tick-borne uh, mortality when it comes to moose, have a look when it comes to ticks in Maine and New Hampshire and Minnesota. Man, moose ticks are just oh, absolutely gross. They're huge. They're like the size of your thumb. I've never seen one, but a lot of people have talked about it. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a big issue and, and conservationists are trying to figure out what to do. Obviously, hunters are perturbed because a smaller population means less opportunity to hunt. And we as hunters are always interested in more animals being on the landscape. More animals means more opportunity, obviously to a point from an opportunity perspective and a sustainability ecosystem level health perspective too. But the moose population in Minnesota has gone from 8,000 individuals in 2009 to about 3,700 uh, this year, actually, uh, in recent years actually. So they just, they know now about it. Brainworm is now one, another factor to this. Uh, you can look up, um, you can look up, there are a couple of other, there's a couple of studies that you can look up. One in the Journal of Wildlife Diseases um, that's suggesting that the brainworm transmission um, is through and is confirmed because not, there's no causation here, but is the, the Journal of Wildlife Diseases is confirming that moose do eat snails and slugs, which are the carriers of brainworm. And so um, there seems to be the ingestion of a well-documented host of brainworm being ingested by moose. And so there's potentially um, a mechanism by which they're getting infected through eating snails and slugs. Don't know how much you can do about it, what you can do about it, probably nothing, but it's, uh, it's certainly something that's happening. Climate change, changing weather, changing climates, probably making the the parasite uh, probably more prevalent on the landscape, i.e. snails and slugs more prevalent in, in, in hosting them, all sorts of things happening. So that's about it. That's about the roundup. Lots of things happening around the world. I couldn't believe I went 30 minutes of talking <laughs> without a co-host. Uh, for those of you that have made it this far, listening to my voice for 30 minutes, congratulations. I don't think I could do it. Um, if you want to reach out, engage us, DM us, email us, text us, 620-860-4804. If you like the podcast, give us a review and a rating on Apple or Spotify. Really helps with the algorithm. And uh, share it with your friends. Look at our content. If there's something there, share it with someone. And absorb the content. Be confident in what you say. Let us know how we can help. Much appreciate you listening. And text Cody. Tell him to get out the river, get back to work, and hosting a podcast, a roundup podcast 
with me. See ya. Well, that's it for today. Appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.